0: Welcome to Redefining the Good Life, the podcast that calls BS on the rat race of modern life and helps you finally have the courage to go after your dreams. I'm your host, Aishan Karaduman, a.k.a. The Omnivorist. I'm a life coach and functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Using a blend of mindset tools and ancestral nutrition, as well as understanding just what it means to be human today, I'm here to help you change the trajectory of your life. Another future is possible, my friend. Welcome on board. Hello, my friend. Last week, I laid down for you my nutritional philosophy. As I explained... I discovered the evolutionary perspective in talking about human health and nutrition, and it just made so much sense to me. We used to live in a certain kind of world, eating a certain type of food, mostly wild foods, both plants and animals. And of course, there was a huge variation in how people ate, depending on where on earth they lived. But there were some universal principles, and in each place they lived, humans adapted to their natural environment and ate foods that were essentially in their wild state and not cultivated and processed in the industrial way that we do today. Now, of course, we can't reenact the past. We couldn't even if we tried because everything is so different now, but that is not the point either. It is more about asking the question, how can we use those clues to inform how we feed ourselves today. And that is primarily by basing our diet on real whole foods that are as close to their natural state as possible. Now, of course, there are always exceptions and you know convenient shortcuts that can really be lifesavers, especially when you have young kids, but just keeping these principles in mind will really help. So, what does this real food diet? Look like today. And to get a little more specific and actionable for you, I also want to talk about and break it down by macronutrient and tell you what I recommend for each category. So, starting with carbohydrates, you know, carbs really get a bad rap in today's world, but that's really a little unfair because. Well, let's just say it's almost like a shorthand, but it's not entirely accurate. So when carbs get a bad rap, it's because of all the processed and inflammatory stuff that is unfortunately super you know, present in our modern diets. So industrial breads and pasta and pizza and bagels and cakes and cookies, etc., etc. et cetera. These are all refined carbs and they are basically not doing your health any favors. So this I am in total agreement with. But once again, the important thing to focus on is quality, okay? So if you are focusing on real whole foods like seasonal vegetables, starchy tubers, and leafy greens, you know, all vegetables are actually carbs, your carb source is actually your opportunity for introducing the most variety into your diet. So this is when we think of eating the rainbow and strive for as much color on our plate as possible. So, so basically, all kinds of vegetables, all kinds of seasonal vegetables will be in this category. And I would also recommend safe starches for many of you. And what I mean by that is starchy grains and vegetables that are really as low in those anti-nutrients and harmful compounds as possible. So this could be things like white rice, white potatoes, sweet potatoes, also more tropical things like plantains and yuca, etc. And so you might say, well, Aishan, those things aren't really that nutritious. But here's what I'm going to say. This is maybe a little bit of a caveat. Of course, nutrient density is super important, but it is not the criterion for every single bite that we eat. So there is also a place for these kinds of gentle carbs as a concentrated source of energy. Okay. And this might be particularly important for women. Because actually, because of our let's let's say more complex hormonal makeup, um, those gentle carbs can be very useful and soothing to our bodies. But of course, you make sure that. This is just an accompaniment to your meal, and it's not going to be the whole meal itself. So not just pasta, not just rice, all of that. I personally don't consume gluten and gluten-containing grains. So, of course, there's wheat, and there's rye, and barley, and spelt. I do consume non-glutinous grains or pseudo-grains, you know, such as quinoa, amaranth, buckwheat, millet, that sort of thing. Regarding the gluten, that is an individual choice, but one thing I do systematically do with my clients is to have them do an elimination diet at some point where we remove a whole host of potentially inflammatory foods. And then we bring them back very carefully, kind of um, observing how their body feels. So that is, again, that will be something that's worth doing for you as well, doing that really individual work. Uh, In terms of corn, I would say kind of keep it in moderation and really only eat organic uh, because it's very often a GMO product. I also personally think that legumes, which the English call pulses, like beans, lentils, chickpeas, that stuff, they can really have their place in a balanced diet. I do love that stuff. But like I mentioned earlier, I think it is important to properly prepare those for optimal digestion. So that means, you know, I buy them always dry and in bulk and, you know, not in a jar, like pre-cooked. So that means I soak them in an acidic medium. So for example, uh, I might put a few tablespoons spoons of apple cider vinegar and enough water, filtered water to cover. Depending on what which legume it is, it could be anywhere from eight hours to overnight and, and then we cook it thoroughly. And some people, especially those with an autoimmune condition, may be sensitive even then because these foods can be irritating for the gut for some people. But if you do do okay with them, these can definitely be a great addition to a healthy diet. And it's also a good source of what we call resistant starch, which is basically really good for your gut bugs. And of course, they're also really economical. And I think fruit is also a great way to get lots of nutrition in a practical package, and it makes a great snack or dessert. The question came up during the breakfast challenge about having fruit for breakfast. You may not be surprised to hear me say that I do not really Uh, recommend fruit, just having fruit for breakfast. If it's something you're having on like a piece of fruit on top of your savory breakfast, yeah, okay. Yeah, just really, you know, treat it more like a dessert, like I said, or maybe a snack in the afternoon or something like that. Fruit is packed with vitamins and antioxidants. And it's a great way also to get raw food into your diet. And in terms of like, cooked raw, all that stuff, like I'm not a purist about any one thing, I do think we need to have cooked food, we need to have raw food, we need to have lacto-fermented or fermented food. I think that each preparation technique brings out different nutrition in different foods. So it's important to have a good variety of that. Dried fruit is also a great snack. But of course, you know, practice caution with that because it is a concentrated source of sugar. And I really like to pair that with nuts or, you know, super dark chocolate, sometimes even 100% chocolate. Like I love Like making a little sandwich with a date and a piece of 100% chocolate. You put it inside and mm, it's delicious. Even though the chocolate by itself is pretty nasty. But when you have it in that package, mm, yum. All right. So that's for carbohydrates. And next up is protein. Now, this is another one where I really like to bust some myths and misunderstandings. So Protein provides the building blocks for our bodies and it is critical to optimal health. This is of course, you know, especially true for growing children and pregnant women, but it really is important for everybody. Although, you know, the amount that you need might vary according to which season of life you're in. And it is true that animal protein provides the best quality. So, here are some of my favorite sources of good quality protein. So, meat from pastured animals and free-range poultry. I would say to try as much as possible to source your meat carefully. And if you can actually find producers that you can buy directly from and, you know, producers who have ethical practices and who also raise their animals according to their own evolution... Okay, and that kind of meat will be beneficial for ecosystems and it will be beneficial for your own health as well. And wild game, if you can, you know, have access to it, is a great option as well. Free range eggs, of course, and in Europe there is a numbering system, and the organic eggs start with a zero, so that's important to know. And I would say good quality, whole, raw, fresh, or cultured dairy if it is well-tolerated. Once again, this is an individual thing, and as I said with my clients, we always do an elimination diet just to see how they do with and without dairy or different types of dairy. Sometimes somebody finds that they're okay with maybe sheep's milk, but not so with cow's milk, for example. Also, wild-caught fish as opposed to farmed fish, and especially cold-water fatty fish like sardines and herring, mackerel, salmon, etc., And this type of fish is really important for overall health and especially brain health. And I would also say seafood and sea vegetables. Now, sea vegetables are not a source of protein, but they are very, very nutritious. Now, one caveat here is that, unfortunately, we live in a very polluted world. So this is an area where I really have a hard time. I'm constantly having to... Do a balance in my head, like, you know, cost benefit analysis, like, you know, a lot of fish out there is pretty contaminated. And yet avoiding fish altogether is really not good for our health either. So this is an area where you might need to do some research and practice some judgment. And I want to also this is something I mentioned earlier, but I really want to emphasize the importance of eating the whole animal. You know, traditional cultures had reverence, they had a respect for what nature provided, and they were so appreciative of, you know, the animals that gave their life for them to live. And so they never let an animal go to waste. They used as many parts as possible, you know, organ meats, like I said, speaking of nutrient density, you can't do any better than organ meats, homemade bone broth, and which is actually really a good way to soothe your gut lining, so it's very, very good for gut health, um, bone marrow, etc, etc. I would really always recommend making sure to be using the whole animal. or gelatin, good quality gelatin, which means gelatin from healthy animals is also something that's good for your gut. and it's also fun to introduce you know in desserts for kids. Okay, so the last category we have is fats. Now, again, I'm going to be maybe trying to overcome some misunderstandings here as well. Now, if you are one of these people, and I think there are many, many of you out there who's been conditioned to avoid fat or minimize fat, I really, really, really want you to rethink that position. Good fats in sufficient amounts is absolutely essential to robust health. And when I say good quality oils and fats, I'm really thinking, again, I'm looking traditionally, traditional cultures, traditional cuisines. What have we been using for millennia? So sources of good quality fats include cold-pressed organic olive oil, butter, coconut oil. I would say animal fats, other animal fats like organic duck or goose fat. They're really good, for example, for roasting vegetables. Lard from Happy Pigs, if you can find them, that's actually good for you. If you can find sustainable red palm oil, that is another oil that is actually good for health. The fatty cuts of meat or fish skin, you know, just, you know, don't be afraid of all of that stuff. And also egg yolks and avocado are also great. And of course, nuts and seeds are also a good source of good fats. And I would say, make sure to avoid anything that's like any modern oils. So what are called vegetable oils, but really they're not vegetable oils, they're industrial seed oils. So things like sunflower and colza, which is canola actually in English, soybean oil, corn oil, all of these kind of new <laughs> newfangled oils. These are prone to oxidation and rancidity. And so they are actually really inflammatory for our bodies. So, and I would say, especially to be wary of them when you're eating out. Of course, it's easier to control for all of this when you're cooking at home, but it's when you go out that that becomes a problem. And I would say as a practical guideline, how to compose a well-balanced plate is you can think of, you can imagine a third of your plate made up of protein, a third Seasonal, colorful vegetables, or this could be a really huge salad, and the other third a starchy vegetable or a starchy grain. Okay, and maybe you know a, a soup made with bone broth as a starter, which is a great way to start a meal. And so, again, what I'm trying to put across here is not to obsess over all of this, but to really become aware of these principles and try to incorporate them as much as humanly possible, and. And what matters most is the overall quality of your diet over the course of a few days or a week that matters more than every single bite you eat. And the other principle to keep in mind, of course, is what, what you're eating when. And for that, of course, going, always going back to that real food, whole food, savory breakfast, that's going to be really the best foundation that you can lay for your day. All right, my friend, that is what I have for you today. I really hope that with last week's episode, this has really given you a concrete idea of just what to base your diet on. And I will speak with you next time. Hey, come join us in our private Facebook group, Redefining the Good Life, where we continue the conversation about just what it means to have a meaningful life today. See you there!